Welcome to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Puati. Later in the show, I'll chat with Carmen and Zarco Guerrero, will tell us about the Cultural Coalition. And Liv Brashears will tell us about the Pinnacle Prevention. On the phone with me is Dante Bisgrayson, Osage artist and fashion designer and creative director of Sky Eagle Collection. Welcome to our show, Dante. Thank you. Happy to be here. Would you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Dante Bisgrayson. I'm from the uh, Osage Nation. I'm uh, Eagle Clan, and my Osage name is Waseata, which means uh, first son of the Eagle Clan. And uh, I'm a uh, artist and a fashion designer and a advocate for issues uh, impacting uh, uh, Indian country. So I'm uh, also a, a veteran. I was overseas uh, uh, before 9-11, and then 9-11 happened. And then uh, I was a, a part of the first wave that went into, uh, you know, Kuwait and Iraq. And then I was overseas for quite a while as a, you know, active duty reservist uh, and then a contractor. Um, I was there for like 3,000 days. And one of the goals, though, was to come back and, uh, you know, work for, the, you know, uh, help out Indian country. And so I got my master's and then I started getting into, you know, advocacy and fashion and design. And that's really taking off as far as just bringing awareness to issues uh, that are impacting, uh, you know, native communities, such as the epidemic of the missing murdered indigenous women. And then also just uh, disparities, access disparities to, you know, education and healthcare, And it all is interconnected to, you know, different issues. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, that's great. And we're glad to have you. And also, Dante, thank you for your service. Um, thank you. But to get started, let's talk about your Sky Eagle collection. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Um, pretty much started when my daughter was born, and she's three years old now, and her middle name is Sky Eagle. So I came back from overseas, you know, started a family, and then had my daughter. And right around the same time, um, I had found out about the MMIW epidemic. And in my mind, I wanted to do something about it, you know, and being military, it's a new mission, that type of thing. And I started thinking about um, a project that I had, you know, thought about for a long, long time. You know, I grew up in the arts and art history and, and the theater and fashion always uh, piqued my interest. So I started um, a series of, you know, ribbon skirts, uh, really, really good, strong medicine as far as, you know, conveying, you know, empowerment and, you know, resiliency to the wear, right? So a lot of people, they you know, reached out to me and they're like, wow, this is, this is in inspiring, you know, and I, and I started looking at that and I was like, okay, well, if I could bring more awareness to these issues via, you know, the Sky Eagle platform, then hopefully it could inspire, you know, local action because a lot of, you know, action always must start locally. So it, it started happening, you know, it's a, a lot of people would buy them. I would donate a lot and I still do um, to different projects and people would just reach out and be like, Hey, you know, um, I like what you're doing. And there was even one lady, she was like, I, you know, I want to go, you know, bring action. So she started writing some, you know, legislation and, 
you know, just different issues like that. So that's a little bit about Sky Eagle. It's the, the main goal is awareness for issues with the intent to provide, you know, action to those issues. And I'm sure all of your design um, tell different stories. Do you have a personal favorite design that you have created in this collection? I, they're, they're all, they're all my favorites, right? But it's the most recent one that I did was, it was a project because I'm also a poet and I, I do a lot of uh, writing and I was doing a lot of, uh, I'm doing a compendium of poems on, um, there's a database for MMIW cases goes back to like 60s and the 70s and it really delves into the root cause of two um you know issues right there right there were so many of these cases yet there was no cases reported like limited cases to the department of justice so there's a real big gap there so i started writing poems for each and every case of the missing and murdered uh indigenous women and I, the poem is to honor them, you know, honor their memory and to reflect on, uh, you know, what occurred there, because a lot of them, we, we want to make sure they're not forgotten. So then I wrote a poem about, um, you know, one case, and then I printed the poem um, onto material and then made a ribbon skirt of it. And it, it really just, I don't know, it's real striking. It's uh, it, it, a lot of people, I, I posted it and they're just it's just really inspiring to other people as far as, you know, Hey, we honored her, um, her, her memory. And so that was one of the, my, my, my favorite ones. How has your design, cause I know you mentioned you started this, um, when your daughter was very young, how has your design or clothing evolved? Well, at the beginning, it was just kind of just a few small designs and then the pandemic hit and I was in my studio a lot more, which was nice, actually. And so I started really reflecting on different designs. And I sat down and designed like the next three years of seasons of, of collections. And I started going into, you know, belts and dresses and uh, men's ties and scarves. And and I'm trying, uh, you know, ready to wear. And down the road, I'm looking at a little uh, like couture. You know, so like uh, really unique kind of like that high-end fashion. And the idea, though, is, you know, high-end fashion for everybody because I look at it where it's nice that small batches are there, but in order to get the right price point, you got to have a little bit of volume there. So I've evolved, um, you know, on the designs, but also on the social media platforms, you know, where we got 2 million views uh, year to date and it's uh, those are fun as well like these are, they're like these little mini movies that uh, I make and it's kind of like a, a moving poem that type of thing and it's uh, so it's like it's all like I, I do the photography I do the styling I do all that and you know my, my wife is my muse and my model and uh, so it's evolved and we have a lot of people out there who collect our, our uh, you know uh, the, the Sky Eagle collection and they, they post on online as well. So it's kind of like this cross-populating, uh, uh, pollinating uh, media. And also, um, along with your fashion design, um, you are also an artist yourself. What medium do you work in? I uh, Mainly I work in uh, oil painting. I uh, studied uh, fine art in Amsterdam when I was growing up before the military. And then I went to the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe. And so um, that was where our, my, my main, my original, you know, designs came from. Uh, so oil painting, and then I've evolved into um, 
some documentaries that I've been involved in, helped produce. And also, I'm, I'm kind of branching out into some new installation art with, um, it's like a digital sculpture that I made, and it's of a straight dancer, it's me, and it's kind of like speaks to the, um, you know, the, the physical plane and our spiritual plane and the, the connection we have there as Native people. And eventually, I'm going to have more dancers, um, you know, different, different tribes and all that, and different style of dancing, you know, single dressed and it, I think it'd be very interesting. So, you know, a lot of different mediums, you know, I just keep, I have so much work that I do. I just, I keep myself very busy. <laughs> oh, definitely. And that is something to look forward to. Um, and I know that you, you, all of your work is very versatile. You have, you are very, um, equipped in different artistries such as fashion and also your Osage artist. Have you won any awards for any of these um, form of art that you've created? Yeah, um, I have actually. Um, I grew up doing the uh, Santa Fe Indian Market, and I was uh, got first place in oil painting uh, back in the day. And then I took a, uh, a best of show um, with a show back back around the same time. But recently. Um, you know, I was overseas so long, I didn't have too much time to do my work uh, since I, think I was in the war zone. Uh, but then when I came back, you know, I started getting a, a lot of, you know, uh, interviews and a lot of interest. And so, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a good, uh, good journey, as they say. And I know you have um, you mentioned you have a daughter as well. Do you have any advice for the youth that are wanting to go into fashion design or maybe that just wanted to go into art? Absolutely. Um, I'm actually starting a uh, Sky Eagle collection uh, scholarship for native uh, artists and fashion designers. They should be doing that by the end of next year. And the, the main takeaway is, uh, one, don't give up to keep on going and three be your own self you know a lot of times in the art world and in fashion um there's the trend right and i always tell uh you know my team i'm like we want to be the trend we don't want to follow the trend right so be be yourself and there's going to be mistakes like not all the designs are going to be home runs right but it's a matter of just keeping on and and really you know understanding your vision and being able to convey that uh, and just keep on on your designs. Be, be unique, be yourself, you know? Oh, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. And Dante, how can someone find out more information about Sky Eagle Collection or how can someone reach you if they have any further questions? Uh, my site is uh, skyeaglecollection.com and it's an easy search. It's the first one that pops up on the, uh, the Google search. But we're also, uh, I have a TikTok. I do a lot of TikToks. Those are fun. Um, I have Instagram. And I, before I started, you know, uh, Sky Eagle, I never even had social media. And a cousin of mine told me, you got to get in there. So I tried it. <laughs> and so I got Instagram and I got the Facebook. And uh, so those are the main platforms. Uh, we don't really have a brick and mortar, but we are moving our studio to Taos. So down the road, we might have a, uh, a studio up in Taos as well. Well, I would like to thank you, Dante, for taking time out to talk to us today to share more about how you started your Sky Eagle collection and also about your journey even getting there. And I also want to thank you again for your service. Oh, thank you.
Coming up, I'll talk with Liv Brashears. Support for Radio Phoenix comes in part from Native Health, located at 4041 North Central Avenue, Building C, near the corner of Central Avenue and Indian School Road in Phoenix, and located in Mesa at 777 West Southern Avenue, near the corner of Southern Avenue and Extension Road. Native Health provides primary medical, dental, behavioral health, WIC, and wellness services for the urban Native American community. COVID vaccinations and testings are available at our Phoenix and Mesa locations. For more information, call 602-279-5262 or visit our webpage at nativehealthphoenix.org. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Puati. Liv Brashears is the Arizona Farmers Market Nutrition Program Coordinator at Pinnacle Prevention, an Arizona-based nonprofit firm working to inspire and advance opportunities for lifestyle-enriched living that promotes healthy foods. Welcome to our show, Liv. Thank you for having me, Lanasha. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Liv Brashears, and uh, I do work for the nonprofit Pinnacle Prevention, where I coordinate the Farmers Market Nutrition Program. Um, and I've been in this role and been in Arizona for a little over a year now. And can you tell us what is the Pinnacle Prevention? Yes, Pinnacle Prevention is a nonprofit organization where we focus on strengthening our local food system here in Arizona. Um, we are based out of Chandler, but we do work all around the state. Um, some of that work is programmatic, like myself, uh, coordinating food assistance programs. And then other part of that work uh, that my colleagues do is advocating for policy change and active living initiatives. Oh, wow, that is awesome. And can you tell us more about what the Farmer's Market Nutrition Program is? The Farmer's Market Nutrition Program, or FMNP for its initials, is a USDA program that offers $30 to $50 worth of coupons to WIC families and seniors um, so that they can purchase fresh Arizona-grown fruits and vegetables from local farmer's markets and farm stands. And then you mentioned that it is for WIC families and elders. Are those the only two um, populations that it is that are eligible? Yes. So any household who actively participates in WIC, the Women, Infants, and Children program is eligible for the WIC FMNP coupons. And any senior, any elder who either participates in CSFP, um, which is also known as the Senior Food Box Program, that's one way for a senior to be eligible, or who qualifies based on income um, can participate in, in Senior FMNP. And how can people obtain the farmer's market vouchers? Participants can obtain the vouchers by directly going to one of our approved farmer's markets or farm stand locations. Each farmer's market has an information booth where they'll need to go to pick up the coupons, and they can just follow a couple easy steps. So starting with WIC families, make sure to bring your eWIC card and the EasyWIC app 
to the information booth of the market that you're at. Show those two things, eWIC card and EasyWIC app, to the market staff at the information booth, and then they'll register you and give you a $30 coupon booklet for your household. And then for seniors, um, if you have a yellow CSFP card, bring that to the information table and the process is the same. The market staff will register you and give you the $50 coupon booklet. Or as we mentioned, um, if you're a qualifying senior based on income, but you don't have a yellow card, simply go to that information booth of the market that you're visiting and then they will provide a paper registration form which you can fill out and sign to receive the coupons from the market staff. What are the benefits of this program? The benefits are two-sided. So on the one hand, participants um, such as pregnant women, families with infants and young children on the WIC side, and then also elders, they get to take home more fresh produce at no cost to them. So um, we talked about the eligibility. Any of those folks are automatically eligible and don't have to um, pay anything to receive the uh, coupons. And then the other side of this program is that it uplifts our local farmers. So all the produce that is bought with Farmers Market Nutrition Program coupons is grown in Arizona. So every coupon that's spent goes straight to the pockets of farmers and growers around the state um, who are so vital to our community. And where can we find participating farmers market? We have um, 22 approved farmers markets and farm stands in seven of Arizona's counties. And so we have a full map and list of every location where participants can go to pick up and also spend their FMNP coupons. That map and list is available on our website, www.azfmnp.org. And so I invite you to, to visit it and use the tool to determine where your nearest location is. You can plug in your zip code and then the map will automatically sort by, by nearest location. And Liv, can you tell us more about the program structure and the key deadlines to be aware of? Absolutely. It's important to know that uh, the eligible populations can pick up coupon booklets once per year. Um, that's how the program is structured. Um, and as we talked about, the coupon booklet is worth $30 to $50, um, but it doesn't have to be spent all at once. So they come in tear-off increments of $5 each, um, and it's up to the um, spender, the participant, on what they want to buy at the market or farm stand, um, and when, when they want to spend it. Some of the key deadlines to be aware of, um, a really important one is September 30th. So at the end of this month is the last day for anyone who is eligible and interested but hasn't picked up their coupons yet to do so and to obtain coupons. Um, once again, September 30th is the deadline for new participants to obtain their coupons for this year. And one thing to be aware of is many farmers markets are open once a week. So be sure to check dates and times um, so that you don't miss that deadline. And once you pick up your coupons before September 30th, you'll still have until November 15th of this year to spend the coupons before they expire. And how can interested local farmers get involved? Yeah, so there's a couple different opportunities. If you're a farmer, a vegetable gardener, a grower who either has a farm stand 
or participates in a market that we don't yet partner with, we would love to hear from you um, and work alongside you to be able to bring FMNP to your community. Um, and I will be sharing my contact information later so you know how to reach me. And then the second way that we work with farmers directly is by partnering with them to provide produce to seniors outside of a farmer's market environment. So, you know, we, we know and we recognize that seniors can face barriers to being able to go to farmer's markets. And so we do also coordinate specialized deliveries throughout the year um, to bring produce directly to seniors. So again, if you're a farmer who wants to be a part of that and you're passionate about feeding elders, let's talk because senior FMNP could provide those funds. And then once again, I'll be sharing my contact information for that. And families who maybe never been to a farmer's market, what are your favorite fruits and vegetables that they can find out at a farmer's market? There are so many great options to choose from. Um, one of my favorite things to buy at farmer's markets is the citrus um, and especially grapefruit. So in, in the cooler months, that will be available and abundant at the farmer's markets. Um, and vegetables of lots of different varieties are available throughout the, throughout the year, um, such as zucchinis, squash, tomatoes, beets, turnips. Um, there's a lot to choose from. Um, and personally, I, I am a huge fan of, of zucchinis and, and how abundant they are. Thank you for sharing that, Liz. Um, where can people learn more about pinnacle prevention and how can someone reach you if they have any further questions? So to get more information, um, you can visit www.azfmnp.org um, for the initials for Arizona Farmers Market Nutrition Program. Um, that'll take you directly to the FMNP page where we have you know, summarized information, what to bring with you to the market, and that full list of participating locations. Um, and then we did talk a little bit about senior income eligibility. So if you're wondering about that, we have the table for the income guidelines. Um, for pinnacle prevention more widely, if you're interested in our work, um, you can also get to that through the FMNP page, or you can go directly to www.pinnaclepreventionorg um, to explore our different programs and, and policy work. And well, then as far as, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. I just wanted to also um, indicate where folks can reach me, either with any questions about participation or for farmers who are interested. Um, please reach out to me at 833-836-8253. Extension four is for the Farmers Market Nutrition Program, or you can shoot me an email at info, info at azfmnp.org. Well, I would like to thank you, Liv, for taking time out to speak to us today to tell us all this great information about the Pinnacle Prevention and also the Farmers Market Nutrition Program. Thank you so much for inviting me and for this opportunity to share. Coming up next, I'll chat with Carmen and Zarco Guerrero. Native Talk Arizona returns after this break. Welcome back to Native Talk Arizona, presented by Native Health and Radio Phoenix. I'm host Lanasha Pwati. On the phone with me is Carmen Guerrero, Executive Director of the Cultural Coalition. 
and Zarco Guerrero, Artistic Director of Cultural Coalition, an organization that provides unique cultural programs which fosters community engagement. Welcome to our show, Carmen and Zarco. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Can you tell tell us a little bit about yourselves? Yes, I am an artist. I do beadwork, and I'm a musician. And then um, in 1996, which is exactly 25 years ago, we felt the need to create a nonprofit arts organization that would support local artists and also provide community engagement opportunities for mainly uh, low-income people to have access to the arts. So that's why we started the Cultural Coalition. And Zarko, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, I'm a, I consider myself a, a sculptor, but I'm uh, more well-known for uh, mask-making. Uh, that's predominantly what I do. I do mask-making for uh, uh, the number of festivals we have in town. And I also do uh, public art, uh, which includes sculpture, and murals, but people know me as a mask maker, and I'm also very involved in in theater. So uh, I use uh, uh, Culture Coalition as a way to engage uh, the community and to, to keep our, our art traditions uh, alive and flourishing in our community. Oh, wow. Well, it's a pleasure to have you both here with us today. And Carmen, can you tell us more about the Cultural Coalition? How and when did it get started? Yeah, like I said before, we got started in 1996. We are celebrating 25 years. And the reason we got started is because we felt the artists need support to be able to continue doing their art. So we were doing festivals in Phoenix, in Mesa, and now in Tempe also, where we invite the artists to come and share their traditional uh, art form. So, And then also we invite the community to come learn about it because a lot of uh, artists of color don't have opportunities to exhibit or to perform in our community. So that's why we started it. And since then, we have done many festivals, uh, we started the Dia de los Muertos Festival in Mesa like 30 years ago, and then we moved to Phoenix. We are scheduled to do it on October 24th at Steel Indian School Park. We have the support of the City of Phoenix Office of Arts and Culture, and also what most of the things that I do is apply for grants so that I can pay the artists. And I know your mission is to provide the community engagement through unique cultural programs dedicated to education, promotion, and development of indigenous artists in Arizona. How many Native American artists do you work with? I think a majority of our artists have Native roots. Uh, Not all of them are registered with tribes. There's a lot of people who are detribalized because of colonization, but a lot of them acknowledge that their art forms come from their indigenous. They find inspiration. It, it, that's where they find their inspiration is from their indigenous past. So a lot of our, our artists, they're all artists of color, and they have native roots. And do you have any children programming? Yes. All our festivals are directed to the children. So we have a lot of children's art activities. And on a daily basis, we work, I work on a low-income low housing project here in Mesa, Arizona, where we provide after-school arts program every day, Mondays to Friday, 
three to six, we serve about 110 low-income families, and their children come to our classroom so we can give them, actually they get a free meal from St. Mary's Food Bank, then they get homework help, and they have an art experience every day. Oh, wow, that is awesome. And Carmen, do you think it is important to introduce children to indigenous art experiences? Oh, of course. They have to understand indigenous art experiences because nothing else in their educational experience, their regular public education, has any inclination to show anything indigenous. So they love when they learn, like, for instance, beading, the history of beading, and looking at pictures of beadwork from different artists. Indigenous artists is very, very special for the children. The same thing with music, the same thing with dancing, and uh, they get exposed to all these different art forms that they wouldn't do it in a regular public school setting. Oh, definitely. And do you have any favorite success stories, whether it be in your children's program or indigenous artists that you work with? Oh, I saw that and I was thinking about what uh, we have so many success stories. I think the most uh, relevant one is the uh, after-school arts program at El Rancho del Arte, because, like I said, we expose art, we expose the children to so many different artists of different backgrounds. And I think another success story is our festivals. We started very small, like maybe having a thousand people come to our festivals at uh, Dia de los Muertos at the park in Phoenix. And now we serve over 10,000. I mean, of course, we've been doing it for 10 years. It's our 10th annual. But um, the fact that the, the festival has grown, that more people know about it, that people not only want to come and see the arts, but also the food is very important. So we make sure that all our food vendors are native, indigenous, or they, they do show good food, not just the deep-fried stuff that, you call, that we call junk food, but also healthy foods. We think it's very important for the children to learn to eat healthy. So we provide them. We ask when we curate the artists, the, the uh, food art, you know, vendors that come to our festivals, we always want to see their menu, and we ask them to do something that have indigenous roots. And speaking of festivals, do you have any upcoming Native American events? Yes, we are, going, we are par- partners with Pueblo Grande Museum. And on October 3rd, we're going to be having our third annual Portal Fest. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm going to let Zarko talk more about the Portal Fest because it's a project that, that he did a public art for. And then we're trying to really keep this festival educating the community about the value of, the, of water in our community, but also the fact that all the canals that we depend on. I'll let Zarko talk more about that, okay? Well, um, you know, our emphasis in Culture Coalition has always been to uh, uh, emphasize, exalt uh, our, uh, our our native roots, regardless of where people come from. And uh, uh, we believe that uh, our past as a community, our past as the – our future, I should say uh, – uh, is in our indigenous communities, is, is our, our general community, uh, we find what we need to confront the future in our past. In other words, we look to the past in order to find uh, answers to the future. And of course, uh, one way to describe that is uh, decolonizing or re-indigenizing uh, 
our community. And we partnered with the uh, Pueblo Grande Museum because there was uh, monies available uh, through the Community Foundation to create some type of artwork, could be any media that um, showcased, that expressed um, the importance of conserving water. So what we uh, what we came up with for Pueblo Grande Museum, uh, Pueblo Grande Museum, by the way, uh, their whole main uh, museum is about the uh, the legacy of the people we call the the ancestral Sonoran Desert people. The archaeologists call them the Hohokam, and the Optum people call them uh, the Hugam, their ancestors. The term that uh, people prefer to use, uh, especially the Optum people, to refer to the Hohokam is the uh, Sonoran Desert uh, ancestors. So we propose to create a gateway uh, called the Portal to the Past that runs along the Tempe Canal where they created a new pedestrian walkway um, but there was no access to the museum from that walkway. So I proposed the idea of, of creating a, a large gate, a portal, that people could see from a distance and be attracted to and therefore would uh, want to come and check out the museum. <clears throat> so for this Portals of the Past Festival, we invite a number of uh, Native American uh, musicians and artists, <clears throat> particularly from the, the Atama Nation, but other uh, tribal groups that live here in the valley. So that will include uh, dance and music and and, uh, artistic demonstrations as well. And is this uh, festival going to be free and open to the public? Yes, everything we do is free and open to the public. That's what distinguishes us from other uh, festivals here uh, in the valley. We're about providing uh, free activities for our community, and we're into utilizing our public spaces, such as museums and parks. And how has um, COVID impacted your festivals? Yes, COVID has impacted not only our festival, but also our organization. When COVID started, we lost some of our staff. We had some uh, we had specifically our assistant director, Marlena, she's Navajo. She had to go back home to take care of her matriarchs, her mom and her grandma. So anyway, uh, she gave up her job to be there. We also lost all our volunteers because they used to come volunteer with the children, volunteer at the festival, and they couldn't come anymore. But also what the biggest impact was the fact that all our in-person activities had to be pivoted to digital. So it was a really tough learning curve for us to learn about the, the digital world and have everything videotaped and have everything on the website, virtual. virtual. So right now we have like over 90 performances in our portal on uh, YouTube, Culture Coalition YouTube. And some, most of, uh, some of them are specifically for the portal past, portal festival uh, performances. So it was, it was really tough for us. We thought that we were going to really go under because we didn't know, you know, all our sponsorships. We lost 40% of our sponsorships, of our income through the sponsorship. They're all gone. Nobody was sponsoring us because uh, we didn't have in-person events. So, But we survived. We were able to get some um, um, relief funding 
from the Phoenix Office of Arts and Culture in Maricopa County, and we survived and we did everything virtual. And now we have the ability to do things in person and virtual at the same time. Oh, wow, that is great. And Carmen, how can the community support you guys? We're always looking for donations. Individual donors are our biggest source of support. We do things like right now we're getting ready to do a mask event in Mesa. It's called Mask Alive Festival. It's going to be September 19th at Pioneer Park where we showcase different cultures, African culture, Japanese culture, that they use masks for their performances. So in order to fundraise and be able to pay the artists their fee, we have a, a mask raffle on our website right now on Facebook. So people are buying a ticket for $20 if you uh, make a donation of $100, you get six tickets, and then on the day of the event, we're going to pull the winner, winner and then have um, the mass donated to that person. But that's how we fundraise. One of the one of the ways we fundraise is through the mask raffles. Well, thank you for sharing that, Carmen. And um, going back to Zarco, Zarco, can you tell us more about how you got interested in art? And what type of art and medium do you specialize in? Well, my father was a portrait uh, painter. So I grew up watching him uh, paint portraits and do figurative uh, art as well. Uh, So I grew up in that environment. Uh, My father was also very uh, uh, concerned about us uh, maintaining and not losing our indigenous heritage. Uh, I'm a member of the Akashame uh, band of mission Indians from Southern California. Also, we're also called the the Wananios. But I didn't grow up in in Southern California amongst uh, our tribe. Instead, we grew up here uh, in in Mesa, Arizona, and uh, very near to uh, uh, the Yaqui community and the uh, Akimelatum community. So my life was all about uh, learning about my indigenous past by my experience with our neighbors, particularly the Yaqui, because we are of Yaqui heritage, but we're not enrolled members of the Yaqui tribe. But regardless, my father every year would take us to the Yaqui Easter ceremonies and uh, so that we would be aware of our indigeneity. And uh, going to those um ceremonies uh, it had a huge effect on me as a child because it was the first time I saw a masked dance. And uh, what happened is I, I, as a child, I was able to really see the magic of mask transformation. I saw a man with the head of a deer transform himself into a deer. I knew it was a man with a, with a, a headdress on, but in my mind, I saw a deer dancing, and that just blew my mind. I mean, it changed my whole sense of reality. My whole paradigm shifted. And uh, so, as I pursued my art growing up um, and studying art, <clears throat> even though I I was exposed to so much uh, European art at that time, like like most people my generation, but I made a, a an effort to explore uh, the indigenous art, not only of, of the Southwest, of here in the Phoenix area, but of also of, uh, the ancient art of, of Mexico. And I realized how rich and ancient uh, our traditions are. And I wanted, as an artist, to uh, um, rediscover those things, not only for myself, 
But I felt that we needed uh, those elements in our community, our indigenous interpretations of the arts. And that's why Culture Coalition was created. First, it started. we started out as an organization called Chican Indio, because we were predominantly a group of Chicanos and Native Americans who had the same goal in mind, to express our indigeneity. And so that's what really our festivals primarily are concerned with, uh, especially our Dia de los Muertos celebration, the Day of the Dead, because it is the most ancient, continually reenacted ceremony in all of the Americas. Uh, this celebration goes back over 3,000 years to the Olmecs. So it's a great legacy uh, with, a, with great roots. And for us, this was a way of expressing uh, our, uh, our fascination, our joy, our pleasure in discovering our indigenous past. Oh, wow, Zarcos, it sounds like your art has really evolved. Um, can you let us know how do you get children engaged in art? Well, our festivals primarily are focused on children and families. Uh, for example, when we first began, of course, we used to use we used to use adult um, uh, performers, right? And then we began to realize that our community was full of, of dance and music groups uh, that included children. So by um, uh, contracting. Uh, these young groups of uh, dancers and musicians. Well, not only do they come, but they bring their whole family and they bring the whole community. So we were able to uh, really get the uh, the community involved by showcasing uh, uh, young artists in our performances and by having uh, multiple uh, art experiences going on during our festivals, mask making, face painting, uh, drawing, all kinds of things, whatever we can find artists to do uh, to service our children. That's the kind of thing we look for. Well, that is awesome. And I know you mentioned that um, you guys work with families, but Zarco, do you enjoy working with a particular age group? <laughs> well, I think Carmen and I will probably have two different answers. I think she prefers working with uh, uh, young, uh, younger kids. And I prefer to work with the most difficult group, which would be uh, junior high school uh, students. Uh, that's been my focus my whole career is uh, uh, working in the schools, particularly in, in junior high, because they're so hard to reach at that age, right? So uh, it's always been a big challenge for me, but very rewarding when I'm able to do my artwork with them and get them engaged and actually, you know, to be engaged in the creative process. That's what thrills me as an artist. Oh, definitely. And do you think art is particularly important during the pandemic? Oh, definitely. It's, art is important for children and for adults as well, especially during these, these difficult times. Uh, you know, we have a saying in Spanish, and it, that is, la cultura cura, culture heals. And we see it in our community. We see that, that our children are, are, in, are engaging, are adopting, are becoming involved in uh, all these different art forms in the indigenous communities. You know, we see it uh, uh, in uh, all the, you know, the traditional dances, in the powwows and that kind of thing. Uh, amongst the Yaquis we saw be before uh, COVID, uh, an amazing participation of uh, youth like we had never seen before in uh, uh, the ceremonies. 
So we feel that our our culture, our children are attracted to the culture. They find solace. They find peace. They find encouragement. And they find identity. This is the thing that we're interested in giving our children, regardless of their cultural background, of their ethnicity, to give them an identity. Because without identity, we have no dignity. And without dignity, we're slaves to the system. So we want to create this identity, this pan-indigenous, uh, we'll call it, uh, identity, so that uh uh, people who have who are uh, affiliated with the tribe, who are uh, enrolled with the tribe, um, it's easy for them. But for those of us who are not enrolled in a tribe, for those of us who are urban uh, indigenous people at this time, uh, they lack those exposures to the art. So those are the people that we, we want to get before it's too late. We want to give them an identity. We want to give them uh, a pride and let them know that they are part of the ancient past and that this ancient past is still alive if we keep it alive. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Zarco. And um, Zarco or Carmen, how can someone find out more about the Cultural Coalition, its art workshops, or, and also how can someone reach either of you if they have further questions? Yes, uh, we are uh, culturalcoalition.com is our website and has many links to different programs that we offer right now. We also have uh, social media and Facebook and Instagram. You can look at Cultural Coalition AZ. And then um, we also... Um, our, our number right now, 480-834-5731. We're able to talk to anybody that reaches us. And uh, all, like I said, all our programs are free and open to the public, and we want to involve as many children and give them an appreciation for the arts so it elevates their uh, life and elevates their well-being. If they go to the Cultural Coalition um, website, are they able to find your workshops as well? Yes, because there's links to all the artists, all the artist groups that we work with. There's links there. So there's a link to Zarco. There's a link to my website where I do my beadwork. There's a link to musicians, to the dancers, to all the companies that have become associated with us. And we foster them. We help them. We find funding to pay for their uh, costumes and for their instruments, for their performances. So that's, that, and their regalias, exactly. That's how we support them. Okay, perfect. Well, I would like to thank you, Carmen and Zarco, for taking time out to speak to us today about the Cultural Coalition. Yes, and we hope to see you at one of our festivals, especially the one at uh, Pueblo Grande Museum, October 3rd, Sunday, October 3rd. It's free and open to the public. Want to add a splash of color to your meals this summer? We can help, and it won't cost you anything. That's because WIC is providing $35 for each enrolled woman and child on WIC to buy fresh and frozen fruits and vegetables. Not on WIC? Enroll today to receive this benefit and so much more. To learn more, visit itcaonline.com WIC. Thanks for listening to Native Talk Arizona, produced through a partnership between Native Health and Radio Phoenix. Our sound engineer is Javier Quiroca, 
and the executive producer is Susan Levy. And I am Lanasha Puati, host of Native Talk Arizona. Listen again next week if you have any questions, please email us at nativetalkaz at radiophoenix.org. Finding your sisters in the Red River